Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. So, sure, gotta get used to this new, uh, this new intro. Didn't realize where we're up to. Welcome aboard. It's uh, Fresh Thinking time to Thursday afternoon. And as always, we're going to talk about things that are relevant and try and explore them from a slightly different perspective. I have a simple one-line question for you to introduce today's show. One-line question. And you might think that there's an hypocrisy in this question, as you'll see in just a moment. My question is, why? Why do you think people are so judgmental? Why? So you're going to say I'm judgmental for asking that question? Okay, fine. We can take it. Why do you think people are so judgmental? I'd like to talk about that today, about being judgmental, particularly... In a religious context. So, as always, you're welcome to participate and you're welcome to share your thoughts on this show. 34519, if you'd like to send an SMS, you can always tweet at Chayafim and at Rabashish. Why? Why is it, do you think, that people are so judgmental? Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they aren't. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So there you go. It's uh, such an interesting time. It's such an interesting time. Coming up to the Rugby World Cup Finals, there's a lot of conversation about that. And being on a Shabbos, I've had so many conversations over the course of today about uh, watching the game on Shabbos, yes or no. And that just brought me into today's topic. Why do you think it is that we are so judgmental of each other? <laughs> Why are we judgmental of people, I suppose, generally? Where do you think that this comes from? Because, uh, of course, the minute somebody tells you that this is the way that they're doing things, straight away you'll get somebody who says, ah, tsk, tsk, you know, <laughs> that's not the way that you are supposed to behave. So where does it come from? Some will even argue, in fact, just before the show, somebody sent me a message which implied that... It's more common, I suppose, amongst religious people to be judgmental of non-religious people. I don't know if it's more common. I don't know if that's true. Personally, I feel that there's a lot of judgment that goes in both directions. People who are observant are sometimes judgmental of people who are not observant. And equally, people who are not observant are often or sometimes judgmental people who are observant. So I don't believe that this is an issue about how from you are or how from you are not. It's maybe just part of the human condition that we are judgmental. And it's funny how some things we land up being so judgmental and critical about. We're so often that thing, point an accusatory finger at that person. How could you behave in that way? Yet, when it comes to similar behavior of our own, well, you don't understand. You have to put it into context. It's like if you've seen that, that meme, that mashup that's going around where they've got part of the speech that Obama made after in Osama bin Laden was killed and now Trump's speech after the uh, ISIS guy was killed. And, of course, everybody makes fun of it. But it's it's kind of indicative of what happens. So... The, the left always makes fun of and points an accusatory finger at the right, and the right points an accusatory finger at the left, and we're always critical of each other, and we always somehow are able to pick out just exactly what it is in somebody else that is not so kosher, that needs improvement, that should be in, in some way modified or improved. But when we look at ourselves, well, if you had to understand where I'm coming from, if you would understand my circumstances, you would appreciate why I behave in 
a particular way. And that's what's interesting about particularly on the political arena and particularly in the states where you see there's this constant mudslinging going on between the Democrats and the Republicans. And it's really interesting because every few weeks or months or sometimes just days, you see that somebody points out, hey, hang on a second. Isn't that exactly what you just accused us of in slightly different words X amount of time ago? It's the same thing that happens in relationships, husband, wife. You make an accusation. Your spouse turns back and says, but I don't get it. That's exactly what you do in this particular context. And the person says, no, 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 no. I'm seeing the issue for what it is, and you're blurring the picture by trying to compare things that are incomparable. But really what it boils down to is for some reason we're exceptionally good at noticing the warts on the next person, but not so much in ourselves. The question, I suppose, then is why. If you do have any thoughts on this, uh, perhaps from a psychological perspective or from a spiritual perspective, it would be interesting to share those thoughts with our listeners. You can send a text message, SMS 34519. You can send a message via Telegram on 0618951019. You can phone into the studio 0101403020 and you can tweet at Chai FM. You can tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. So it's a funny thing about people and how people are critical of each other and judgmental of each other. So the reason that I brought it up was just because of some interactions that I've had specifically today, although some of them were yesterday as well, people being quite defensive of positions and feeling that they had been judged, other people feeling that there was a justification to judge people. And then I realized Actually, not very long before the show, uh, I realized, hey, hang on, this is, this is panning out at exactly the right time to have this conversation because there's an incredible insight into the nature of people and into the nature of criticism that is depicted in a story. It's a story that is usually overlooked that we are going to read at Shul this Shabbos. So everybody knows surely that this Shabbos is the Torah reading of Noah, the story of the great flood. That's why it's no surprise that it was a little bit overcast earlier. And you can probably expect some rain because typically it rains around the story of Noah and around the story of the flood. So everybody knows the story, right? Everybody knows about saving the world and how people have become completely amoral and Hashem needed to push the reset button took a small sampling of every living thing, put them into a floating biosphere, and that's how they got to survive. We all know that part of the story. Now, what happens next after the ark docks on Mount Ararat, which they say today is in Turkey. So after they disembark, the next story of human history is a fascinating insight into the psychological and spiritual nature of people. So I don't know if anybody knows what happened exactly next. If you do, you're very welcome to share it with us, 34519, if you want to just quickly SMS in what the next episode of Noah's story was. It's interesting because Noah obviously goes down as a tremendous hero, at least in most people's eyes. On closer examination, according to the Talmud, he might have been a little bit more average than that. But he certainly achieved something massive. He preserved the whole of the world as we know it by keeping people and animals as directed by God, by keeping them on the ark and surviving the flood. So the question is, what happens next? Because the next story in Noah's life is not as glamorous at all, actually. Think what would you do if you were a person who had just survived this absolute devastation? 
This is the, the incident that may have wiped out species that we don't know today because they were completely, it could be that they were completely extincted then. It's this mega event in history. They say that the flood is the most commonly shared story across all cultures, which is very interesting. So here's the man. He steps off the boat. He can catch his breath now after being cooped up with the floating zoo. What's the first thing? What would you do? What would be the first thing that you would do as you stepped off the ark? Uh, maybe not the first thing, but the first things in the plural. What would be the first things? I mean, you'd want to stretch your legs. You'd want to gulp in fresh air after having been in this sealed environment. You would probably want to set up a place to live, surely. Certain practical things that you would have to take care of. In Noah's case, one of the first things that he does is he builds an altar and he brings a thanksgiving offering to God for the fact that they had all survived, which is appropriate, right? You've just experienced this incredibly miraculous experience and you're okay. You come out unscathed. It's appropriate to show gratitude. What happens next? It's the next experience that is so fascinating to tell us about how the human mind and how the human perception works. If you do know what happened next after Noah gets off the ark and brings those Thanksgiving offerings, if you know what happened next, please share it. Share it with us. You can SMS 34519. For those people who like Telegram, it's 0618951019. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So, what is it with us and judgmentalism? That's what we're going to speak about today. Why are we so critical of other people and so accepting of ourselves? In fact, there is a, an interpretation of the verse that says, usually mistranslated as you should love your neighbor as yourself. There's nothing in the Hebrew there that indicates neighbor. It's probably better translated as you should love your peer, your contemporary. You might even want to say your fellow as yourself. Anyhow, that's subject for another conversation. So one of the explanations or interpretations of that is what do you mean love somebody as you love yourself? Well, you know how it is. You do not appreciate people exposing your weaknesses, right? Nobody does. Nobody likes to be criticized. Nobody likes to be judged. So the instruction in the Torah which says, Love your fellow as yourself means just as you do not appreciate being judged or criticized, you should spare the next person and don't judge or criticize them. So you can see that this is potentially something which sits at the epicenter of what it is to be Jewish, not to judge people. There's a saying in the Talmud that says, Al tadines chavercha. Ad that you should not judge another person until you have reached their situation. I mean, the direct translation of it is their place, but the implication is their situation. In other words, you can't judge somebody if you've never been through what they've been through, or if you're not facing the challenges that they're facing, if you're not in the situation that they're in, you can't judge them. It's interesting because it says don't judge the, the person until you reach their situation, but the fact of the matter is it's effectively saying, therefore, never judge a person because you'll never be in their situation. 
And there are all sorts of insights and commentary on that too. But it drives home the message that from a Jewish perspective, the idea of judging people is anathema. You, you should never do it. It's not on. It's not acceptable. It's, it's just not the correct approach. You need somebody to judge. Look in the mirror. There's always room for improvement. When you find the person who has no further need to grow, well, that person is probably being eulogized. So fact of the matter is that the worst thing to do or one of the worst things to do is to judge people. Yet we're so good at it. We're so good at it. Oh, did you see? Did you see what so-and-so did? Can you believe that that's how they behave? And the only reason I'm sharing it is because it just – it really irks me that people should be allowed to behave that way and get away with it. Uh, use the – traffic situation in Joburg as an example I love it because we all get so worked up when we see people driving in the emergency lane and cutting across three lanes of traffic and stopping randomly in the middle of nowhere to pick up passengers or running a red light and we say look at this we become so judgmental and critical then you have to ask yourself do you keep the speed limit isn't there some level of hypocrisy over there? It's funny, right? We're able to justify, yes, you don't understand. This is Joburg. If you keep to the speed limit, people will become aggressive with you, or the speed limit is really outdated. It was from a time when cars could not perform at the way, in the way that they can now, or the speed limit is, is, a, is a good thing. Especially if a person's not a skilled driver, but I, I'm a really capable driver, so I don't have to worry about these things. Or I'm just under so much pressure. What do you want from me? I have to get to that appointment on time. The fact that you left a little bit late might not be a consideration. It's fascinating, right? We're so quick to be able to point an accusatory finger at somebody else and yet so accommodating of ourselves. And there's a deep spiritual reason why, and it all has to do with that unknown chapter in the story of Noah, the great heroic Noah who saved the whole world went on to have an experience that was not quite heroic. I was hoping that somebody would SMS it in. Haven't heard from anybody. It's not too late. You can still send a message now. But the story goes as follows. So Noah gets off the ark, releases the animals back into the wild, brings a thanksgiving offering to God. And now his immediate concern is let's start to Rehabit the earth So obviously he has to build some kind of a shelter And he has to create Some system by which they could Sustain themselves What are they going to eat And the Torah reports that Noah Planted A vine Now it's interesting because the story implies That it all magically happened immediately As he got out of the ark Planted the vine The next thing there were grapes And he used those grapes we don't know within the Torah what time frame the story was spread over, and it's not really important. What is important is this. He plants this vine. It grows. He takes the grapes and produces wine. Now, can you imagine? Here's somebody who's just stepped off. At least the last story that made headlines from his life was the story of rescuing the earth's population. And the next headline of his life is... He drinks too much. He drinks too much. Now, I can't understand if a person had been holed up in a ship together with every imaginable creature for a year and he steps out and the first thing he wants to do is to have a drink and let his hair down. Got it. Except that you don't plant a vine and produce grapes and drink it on the same day. And perhaps there are some commentaries who say there was a miracle associated with that. 
But let's just read it at face value. So this is sometime later. This is not necessarily a, phew, we made it. I can now drink a toast of celebration. This is a pivotal moment in Noah's life. So he plants the vine, produces the wine, has a drink, has another drink, and he drinks himself into oblivion. In his state, and we're not quite sure exactly how it all pans out, but in his state, totally intoxicated, Noach lands up passing out in his tent, passing out, and is indecently exposed. That's just the way he passes out. He's lying there in his tent. Picture the scene. Guy's drunk too much. He's collapsed inside his tent. He is not appropriately attired. And the question, I suppose, is who's going to find him and what are they going to do? And this is fascinating. There are not a lot of people around, right? Noah and his family are the sole survivors of the human population. There are not many people who can assist him. Maybe somebody heard the crash. Maybe they heard him fall down in his tent. Who knows? But Noah has three sons. He has a son called Shame. He has a son called Ham. And he has a son called Yefes. Ham is the son who discovers his father. So picture the scene. He has a, a, a son. He's, he's an adult already. And he finds his father lying there in the tent, completely exposed. And the Torah reports that that was the scene that Ham saw. He saw the scene of his father in an indecent position. Now, what do you do? What do you do? He's, uh, we don't know his exact age at that point. He's an adult. He sees his father in this condition. What should he do? What would be the appropriate response? What would be the appropriate approach? He has a guy. He's, his father. I mean, there's, there's nobody else in the world that he could look up to as a role model. There's nobody else in the world who could educate him. There's nobody else in the world who could guide him. It's his father lying there, naked in the tent, totally Totally in an alcoholic-induced coma. What does he do? And what he does is fascinating. It tells us so much about the nature of people. You could almost say that Ham is like the first tabloid of history. And from there, from that story and from the details around that story, we're going to be able to build a little bit of a psychological profile of why it is that we are so judgmental. By nature I'd love to hear your thoughts on that If you know the story If you're familiar with the story If you've got some insights or thoughts about that story Go ahead and share them What do you think? What do you think this, the, the, the choice would be? Let's say you don't know the story What do you think Ham is going to do next? 34519 mobile uh, SMS number Otherwise Telegram is 0618951019 You can tweet at Chai FM Or directly to me at Rabbi Shish the South African Jewish Board of Deputies invites you to attend its national conference, which will take place on Sunday, the 10th of November at the Houghton Hotel from 4 p.m. A distinguished panel consisting of Dr. Ruel Koza, Robbie Brosen, Professor Adam Habib, Mary Cluck, and Judge David Unterhalter will focus on the theme, South Africa, un. Packing reality. Awards will be presented to those who have contributed to our community with a special tribute to Johnny Clegg. RSVP is essential. You do it via the SAJBD website, which is 
sajbd.org forward slash events. Pick and Pay Norwood Hyper have these pocket-saving sweet deals just for you. Pick and Pay fresh kosher whole chickens are 79 rand 99 per kilo. Pick and Pay kosher okral vors at a very low 99 rand 99 per kilo. There is Pick and Pay minced hake for just 129 rand 99 a kilo. Pick and Pay fresh hake fillets are 129.99 per kilo. You can get Fagel's kosher mock crayfish for just 199.99 per kilo. And Fagel's snook salad is only 159.99 per kilo. Catch these and many more specials in store. These specials are exclusive to Pick and Pay Norwood Hyper and only while stocks last. Pick and Pay Hyper Norwood is the best place to shop when you want to buy a lot. And lastly, book lovers of Chai FM, your book show is back from the 1st of November between 11 a.m. and 12 midday. People of the Book is back on your airwaves. Janice Leibovitz will be chatting about everything book-related, new releases, both local and international, authors, book clubs, writing tips, and much, much more. This is your book show. Be part of it and share what you are reading on books at chaifm.com. So with uh, 28 minutes to the hour, what are we talking about today about being judgmental? What is it with us? Why is it that human beings tend to be, or maybe it's a Jewish thing, I don't know, you'll tell me, that we tend to be so easy, easy to judge people, quick to judge people, to criticize people, to have issues with their behavior. I'm in the middle of telling you a story, and it is uh, one of the lesser known stories of the Torah. It's the story after the flood and Noah, the hero of the flood story, the man who built the ark and saved the world lands up getting shika. He gets completely, I wouldn't even say inebriated. He gets completely intoxicated, drunk out of his mind and collapses in his tent, half naked and his son walks into the room. What happens next? Well, his son, Cham, no sooner does he see his father, and this is why I said he might well have been the earliest tabloid ever, runs outside, tells his brothers, you can't believe what I've seen. Oh, my gosh, you should see what dad looks like. He's lying there in the tent. It's too terrible. That's his response. Now, Shame and Yefes, the other two sons, so they immediately... Leap into action. They've got to do something now. Their father's lying there. This is terrible. This is a scandal of note. In fact, there's all kinds of conjecture about what exactly Ham did when he saw his father exposed in that way. Whatever it was, it was nasty. Now they come. They've got to do something. And the Torah reports that Shame and Yefes walk in to the scene. They walk in backwards. So as not to see their father exposed in that way. And then they drape some kind of covering over him to restore his decency. And they walk out. Two totally different encounters. Same scene. The same scene. One is rubbernecking. I don't know if you saw there was that post that did the rounds earlier this week. Maybe it's an old one. I don't know about how to drive in South Africa. And one of the things that they say is if there's any incident on the side of the road, you should certainly slow down and rub a neck until you have passed it. But don't dare get out to help. 
Well, that's exactly what happened over here. Cham, I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to get involved. Oh, my gosh. Let's tell everybody what we've just seen. Can you believe it? Look at our dad. He has a man. He was such a hero in his time, and he's been reduced to a simple alcoholic. Isn't this just too terrible? The other brothers, totally different approach. Same scene, totally different approach. How do we fix this? I suppose that is the difference between all of us who rubberneck on the side of the highway and the emergency responders who don't even notice us because they're so absolutely zeroed in on what they need to do to help. So there's two completely different attitudes. There's the attitude that says, let us sensationalize this. Oh, my gosh, look at this. Versus the, what can we do to assist? Two choices. The person who is judgmental, the person who chooses to go down that path, I'm going to judge people, I'm going to criticize people, I'm going to speak about people, is typically not the person who is going to assist and vice versa. The person who is going to assist is not going to have the luxury of judging, right? If if a medical first responder arrives at a scene, it is not even in their thought process what did this person do? They were reckless. They should never have sped. They should have been wearing a seatbelt. They had drunk too much. No, your first port of call is how do we assist? Afterwards, you can debrief and you can tear apart the case and say, gee, this is another example of how people should be more responsible. But that's not what you do when you're assisting. So there's two choices. We either judge or we, or we assist. So what's different about Ham that made him judge and exploit the situation and sensationalize the situation? And his two brothers who naturally, instinctively just kicked straight into action and said, how do we remedy the situation? And the Torah is always very specific in its choices of words. So that's where you'll find the answer. Again, Cham goes into the tent, he sees his dad lying there, and he sees, the Torah says, he sees his father's nakedness. The two brothers walk in, they intentionally walk in reverse. They make a point not to see the nakedness, just to see what needs to be done. Isn't that fascinating? This is what happens with us, right? We look at people. You have two choices about how you look at a person. Either you look at the person and you are looking to see what in that person needs to be highlighted, raked over the coals, criticized, corrected. Or you look at the person and you say, how can I fix that person? How can I assist that person? It's maybe not my job to fix that person. How can I assist that person? Genuinely, not in, the, not in that uh, you know, patronizing kind of a way to say, I'm coming to fix you. Your savior has arrived. You know, in a, in a genuine way, say, how can I assist this person? There's a magnificent insight from the founder of the Hasidic movement, the Baal Shem Tov, and it links directly into this particular story on exactly why people judge. And he says, you have to realize that God is so incredibly talented, and the things that cross your line of sight, the things that you experience in your life, they're tailor-made experiences for you now. If this is what you encounter now, it's a message for you now. If this is what you grapple with now, it's a growth opportunity for you now. There is nothing accidental in this world. We believe in a principle called Hashkocha Pratis, which means very personalized divine intervention. And whatever God is sending your way, whoever God sends your way, whatever interaction you have between you and God, that is in this moment 
probably the most important thing that you need to be dealing with. So here's a person. Person crosses your line of sight. The person comes into the arena of your world. First thing that you're supposed to think as a Jewish person is why? Why am I engaging with this person? Why has this person crossed my sights? Why has this person entered my life? And then, of course, the next question, the one that's relevant directly to our conversation is, why am I noticing this flaw in that person? Why do I see that problem? Ham walks in over there. He's like, oh, my gosh, do you see what's going on over here? His two brothers walk in and say, why did we have to know about this? What were we supposed to do? What was the reminder or the the indicator of what we're supposed to be doing? Two totally, totally different ways to talk about it or to view a situation. What do you think about it? Three, four, five, one, nine. If you're going to send us an SMS, some tweets, always welcome. At Chai FM and at Rabbi Shish. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So... You have two choices, right? People cross your line of sight. People enter your world. Straight away you notice things about them. Maybe you notice good things about them. Maybe you notice positive traits about them. Or maybe you notice the negative. Then you have to ask yourself, and this is one of the most important questions the Baal Shem Tov teaches. It's one of the most important questions about interpersonal relationships. To ask ourselves, why is this what I notice? Why do I notice the problem. Uh, I recently saw a story. A photographer told the story. He was a photographer at a bar mitzvah. Not yet. So before you start thinking it was your neighbor and you want to judge them, it, it didn't happen yet. It happened overseas. And this photographer walks into this uh, bar mitzvah. The hall had been set up. It was absolutely magnificent. Attention to every last little bit of detail. And he walks in and literally a minute later, the family walks in to see the hall for the first time. And the mother of the bar mitzvah totally flips. And she says, my dots, where are my dots? And the was looking at her, what, what are you talking about? What do you mean your dots? What are you talking about? She says, there was meant to be a dot at each place setting and my dots are not on the table. And this photographer I think is a from guy. I don't know. The photographer makes the comment. He says, wow, how's that, hey? Here is somebody who's about to begin the celebration, one of the most beautiful celebrations in family life, the celebration of her son's bar mitzvah. And all she can see is dots, the dots that are not even there. Somehow we're predisposed to that concept, right? We notice the things that are not right. So you've got to ask yourself, why? Why is that what I'm noticing? Now, we have an opportunity as people. When we engage with people, we always have an opportunity to be able to help them. If, for example, you could not notice when a person was begging on the side of the road, if you couldn't see it, if you were blind or if you're too caught up looking at your phone, hypothetically, and or, or just tunnel vision on the road, and you couldn't see the beggar on the side of the road, you would not have the opportunity to assist them, right? The fact that you can see them, okay, so that's quite obvious. There's somebody on the side of the road. They clearly don't have money. They can't afford food or clothing, whatever it is. So why do I have to see this? Because I now have an opportunity to assist them. That's fairly obvious. When I see somebody and there's an element of their character or their behavior or a choice that they make that really bugs me, gets under my skin, not so easy to see why. Why am I seeing this? Why has God decided that I'm the person who has to be bugged by this particular kind of behavior? 
So the Baal Shem Tov says because there's a statement in the Talmud that a person is able to observe every kind of flaw except their own. So sometimes in order to draw attention to our own idiosyncrasies, what God does is he puts somebody in our line of sight to behave like a mirror. In other words, when I see something that I feel judgmental about or critical of, the fact that that's my knee-jerk reaction, the fact that that's my instinctive response is a subconscious recognition of and discomfort with the fact that actually I've got that in me. Maybe not in exactly the same way. Maybe the way that person plays it out is different to the way I play it out. But there's familiarity over here. We all know how it feels when there's something that we're not so comfortable with and then it erupts in our face and we see it in a different context. A different, And we feel uncomfortable within ourselves. Oh, my gosh, this is a bit too close to home. This feels just a little bit too familiar. And I'm not, I'm not liking this right now. That's exactly what we're talking about. You see something in another person. You say, why am I seeing this in another person? Why is it bothering me so badly? Because actually it's exposing me and I don't like to be exposed. It's much safer for me to be able to say, there's something wrong with that person. Because then it saves me having to say, Who? I wonder if I sound like that when I'm angry. I wonder if I look like that when I'm in the traffic. I wonder if I also... Flaunt the law a little bit Or maybe don't pay attention To my kids when they're talking to me Look at that person always on their phone Hey hang on a second What about me Look at that person Who doesn't keep this mitzvah or that mitzvah Whoa hang on a second And am I necessarily so perfect So God in his highly creative way Sends these people to cross our paths And now we have a choice Do we take the Cham approach Or do we take the shame and yefes approach If we take the Cham approach All that we see is just the exposure, and then we want to exploit that exposure. That's our first knee-jerk reaction. Oh, my gosh, let me hurt this person now that they have exposed themselves. They're vulnerable, but in fact, they're actually exposing my own vulnerability. That's why I'm lashing out. Anytime that I feel something stirring inside of myself because of the behavior of somebody else, it really, really bothers me it's an incredibly good chance that the reason for that is because it's a reflection and the correct response and this takes a lot of learning and a lot of maturing and a lot of focus then the correct response is to say i'm not going to act on impulse i'm not just going to lash out at that person or spread a story about them between the people who i know enjoy hearing my stories and that way i'll make myself feel better right because everybody's going to kind of nod and agree with me and say how terrible that person is which will make me feel better i'm not going to do that i'm not going to go with my instinctive response you know how powerful this is you know what a growth opportunity this is which is to say let me just see the fact that this is flashed up on my screen and the fact that it's grabbed my attention and the fact that it has sparked an emotional response are all indicators that there's something to work with over here not to work with on that person to work with on my person what an incredibly healthy approach that would be if Cham had behaved that way because Cham was that kind of a character he was the kind of person who probably would have gone off and gotten drunk and maybe even if he wasn't drunk would have exposed himself because he's that kind of person his life story pans out that way he's a little bit on the rougher edge of of the society so he sees this in his father and straight away his response is attack mode attack mode because that deflects away from me 
And we need to be smart enough not to do that. That's why the Torah tells us this story. So if you feel this urge to be judgmental, the appropriate, the healthiest, the most spiritually mature way to, to respond to that is to say, whoa, hang on a second. Breathe. Think. I have a gift that's just been presented to me. It is the gift of insight. It's the opportunity for introspection. Embrace it. Use it. Grow from it. Don't try and modify somebody else and think that that's going to satisfy. It's not because you know what's going to happen. You'll deal with that particular person and they'll move on. Maybe they'll be so offended by the way that you point them out or judge them that they'll move away from you. Guess what? God's not finished. He's trying to get the message to you. A new one's going to pop up. Hasn't that ever happened to you in your life? Just when you think you've gotten rid of the person who really, really gets under your skin, another one arrives. Similar, not exactly the same, but pretty much tests you in, a, in, in the same kind of arena. So the reason we tend to be judgmental of people is typically because we identify within them issues that we're grappling with inside of ourselves. And so the healthy response is to say, I see that. I get it. My mirror is up. Opportunity now. Opportunity to look inside. Opportunity to see how I could improve myself rather than simply just yell at that person to say, you have to fix your life. Well, actually, back at you, as they say, right? You've, I've got to fix my life. No, maybe not as radically as that person. I might not be infected with that particular illness to the same extent as them. But it's there, it's somewhere, it's lingering, it's to some extent within my system. And I could uh, I could fix it. I could do something about it. Hashem has invited me to work on myself. It's quite a profound thing to consider. If you've got a thought or perhaps a story, a personal anecdote on that, love to hear it. 34519, very quiet, very quiet today on, on, on all the messaging systems. 34519 is our SMS line. You've still got a bit of time if you want to send something by telegram. 0618951019. Otherwise, tweet at Chaifem at Rabashish. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. I won't judge you. I won't judge you if you uh, don't want to send a message on the show. It's very quiet, unusually quiet, but anyhow, that's how it is. Talking today about judging people and how Ham, the son of Noah, who found Noah, his dad, lying exposed in the tent, having had too much to drink. And his immediate response was to say, look at that. Look how terrible that is. And the Torah wants us to know any time that we have that reaction, any time we see a person's behavior, no matter how radical it is, and our feeling is they're wrong, they're bad, they should be censured, they should be judged. It's probably just Hashem doing us a tremendous favor and saying, psst. This is actually a little bit of what you look like. The other two, Shame and Yephes, the other two sons of Noah, who immediately took an approach of how do we assist to remedy the situation? Well, that's how you know that God is not sending you a message about your own response, your own growth. In other words, if you see a person and you see that that person is not in a good space, you recognize it because that's the nature of people, right? We will recognize what's wrong in another person. Not all of the time, but fair amount of the time. So when we notice something that is inappropriate in another person, if our instinctive reaction is not to say, yo, look at that, but rather to say, how can I assist? Then we know that we're in a good space. Then we know we're in a good space. And it's such a subtle but meaningful difference between the person who notices where somebody else is floundering and pounces on that opportunity to somehow or another expose or uh, diminish the person, belittle the person, 
Or if the person says, wow, I see, I see a gap over here. I see something over where I can help. It's not judgment. It's just assistance. You put out your hand. You don't ask the person, why are you in the hole? You extend your hand to say, let me help you get out of the hole. That's why I think the rubbernecking versus uh, EMT kind of distinction makes a lot of sense. I drive past and say, how did the person land up in that place? Let me guess. They were driving recklessly. The EMT comes along and says, this is the person that needs to be treated first. This is the person who needs to be treated second. This is the way we're going to treat them. Let's load them up in an ambulance and get them to a hospital. Totally different approach. So why do we judge? Usually because we feel a little bit vulnerable within ourselves. Usually because it's an uncomfortable truth that we're seeing ourselves reflected in somebody else's behavior. The, the comfortable, healthy, appropriate way to respond when we see people who are not in a great space, just try and help them. But without judgment, without sounding like you're trying to help them, just just be good. Just be good. That's probably the best kind of advice that we can always have. Love your fellow like yourself. You would not want somebody when you're down to start spe- giving you a speech. Don't do it to somebody else. It's a good lesson, powerful lesson, something that we can think about all the time. So on that note, until next week, where please God will pick up on the airways again next Thursday afternoon. Have a wonderful Shabbos. And please God, a week filled with brocha in every respect. And maybe also a little bit of good news for our country. Have a good Shabbos.